Welcome to Brain for Business, your podcast for all things brain, behavioral, and organizational sciences. It's great to have you with us. As always, to listen back to past episodes, make sure to check out our website, brainforbusiness.ie, and feel free to drop us a note via the website with any comments, feedback, or even questions that you might have. Letting our minds wander is more widespread than many people imagine. Researchers found that we can spend anywhere from 15% to 50% of our waking hours in a state of mind wandering. Differences may depend on what we're doing and difficulties with knowing when our minds are wandering. According to some reports, about half our mind wandering episodes might slip past unnoticed. To find out more about mind wandering, its impact and its potential benefits for creative thinking, I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Jonathan Schooler. Jonathan Schooler is a distinguished professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of California, Santa Barbara. His research on human cognition explores topics that intersect philosophy and psychology, such as how fluctuations in people's awareness of their experience mediate mind wandering and how exposing individuals to philosophical positions alters their behavior. Professor Schooler is also interested in the science of science, in other words, meta science including understanding why effect sizes often decline over time and how greater transparency in scientific reporting might address this issue. A former holder of a Tier 1 Canada Research Chair, Professor Schooler is a fellow of a variety of scientific organisations, on the editorial board of a number of psychology journals and the recipient of major grants from both the United States and Canadian governments, as well as several private foundations. His research and comments are frequently featured in major media outlets, such as the New York Times, the New Yorker, and Nature magazine. Jonathan, welcome to Brain for Business. Could you maybe start by telling us what is mind-wandering? Well, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Mind-wandering has a a variety of characterizations in, in the scientific literature. And in fact, we have a whole paper on sort of the challenges of uh, defining mind wandering because it, it, in some cases, uh, in, it means one thing. In other cases, it means a slightly uh, different thing. So let me start with sort of the, the prototypical, the typical definition of mind wandering, which is where you are engaged in an internal stream of thought that is unrelated to the external world. And oftentimes, uh, it's uh, in some ways or can be at odds with the external world, as, for example, in the case where you're reading a book, which is one of my favorite examples, you're reading a book and you suddenly realize that your eyes have been moving across the page, but your mind has been elsewhere. And here, when you're thinking about something completely unrelated to what you're reading, it's going to seriously compromise your reading performance. And indeed, we have a lot of research, uh, which uh, demonstrates just how um, problematic mind wandering can be for reading and what a significant source of failure to comprehend material mind wandering can can produce. But in, in addition to that, you can also sort of have mind wandering episodes that are maybe more like uh, daydreaming, which is oftentimes used interchangeably, but has a slightly different connotation where there's not any real external task. You're just say sitting in a chair, staring out of the window. We could also call uh, that uh, mind wandering. But the key thing is it's an internal train of thought that is 
disconnected from the external world. How do you distinguish then between, say that to, to build on your example there, you're reading a book and you realize actually you've been thinking about something completely different to what's on the page in front of you. And what what I think is being called reflection in action, where you're you have a second voice going on inside your head saying, okay, you, you you said something there, it didn't quite land as well as you'd hoped. You asked a question, people didn't understand it, maybe phrase the next one differently. How do you distinguish between those two phenomena in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that to some degree, a lot of these things are uh, continuums and there may not ever be like a really sharp division. But but the key difference there is that the reflection in action would, would be a situation in which you're thinking, actually is connected to the external world. You are uh, elaborating on the situation and producing thoughts that are going to contribute to your, uh, to your next steps. In the case of mind wandering, say while reading, the, the, you know, if you're thinking about what you're gonna be cooking for dinner that night or you know, your upcoming vacation, that's not really in the service uh, of um, the reading material. But sometimes you could be uh, elaborating yeah, on on the reading. Oh well, this is very relevant to that. And in that case, that's where this becomes a little bit more of a of a of a continuum. And, and indeed, in in some of the studies that we do, we we give people the opportunity to indicate rather than just being mind wandering versus not. To what degree was your mind attending to the external material versus on an unrelated inner track? How then do you discern between mind wandering as as a, as a distraction where you're not really paying attention to what's on the page and, and your mind is going off elsewhere but 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 also that productive destructive process that might be the extension how, how do you actually literally discern between the two yeah so this um <clears throat> this is uh, depends on the measures that are being used and in some cases, there, there may be some uh, ambiguity, but uh, depending on the particular study and the particular responses that are uh, given to uh, participants. But one of the ways that researchers get at this issue is by asking people to report on the content of their mind wandering after they indicate whether or not they were mind wandering. And, and one of the categories that they're uh, allowed to uh, indicate oftentimes is something like performance-related or, or task-related associations. Uh, and so they can indicate uh, in that case that they're thinking about you know, something related to their challenges in reading the book or their failure to understand the book relative to, uh, I was thinking about my summer vacation or, or something uh, entirely unrelated. So uh, much of the mind-wandering research um, does rely to some extent on participants' self uh, reports and uh, there are sort of two general ways of invoking those self reports uh, one way is actually three depending on how you count it one way is while they're actually engaged in the task and and here it's kind of interesting you can have them press a button every time they notice themselves mind wandering and these then represent the mind wandering episodes that have reached what we call meta awareness that is they they realize that they're mind wandering and you can also probe people periodically and ask them just now are you mind wandering uh, and this represents 
episodes that may or may not have reached mid-awareness. And when you put the two together, when you have both self-reports that they're trying to tell you every time they are mind-wandering, and in addition, uh, you are having them probe periodically and asking them just now, were you mind-wandering? When you have the two, then the probe caught mind-wandering, the mind-wandering that you catch when they haven't noticed it themselves actually gives you an indicator of mind-wandering that has not reached meta-awareness, the mind-wandering that's sort of slipped under the radar. And it's this mind-wandering, the mind-wandering that hasn't reached meta-awareness that is oftentimes the most problematic because if you haven't noticed that you're mind-wandering, you can't, you can't correct for it. And uh, it may happen at particularly inopportune times. And then the third kind of measure is retrospective, where after they've completed an event, you can ask them, to what degree were you mind-wandering during this? And, and all of these measures, I think one of the reasons why mind-wandering was a little slow to really become a, a mainstream topic is because it's so reliant on self-reports, which can be less than 100% vertical. But all of these measures we find correspond to other indicators of uh, mind wandering, such as physiological measures, EEG, which is you're measuring brain waves, or, or uh, fMRI, where you're measuring actual blood flow in the brain. And the correspondence between people's self-reports of mind wandering and their physiological measures uh, helps to give us uh, greater confidence in their liability. Building upon those three approaches, there are tangible ways that you can actually measure or evaluate um, mind wandering. I'm 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 curious to to step into to some of your your research, and in particular, a uh, a 2019 paper that you wrote with Shelley Gable and Elizabeth Hopper, also of University of California, Santa Barbara, where you considered the role that mind wandering plays in the creative process, uh, looking particularly at physicists and and writers. Can you tell us a little bit about what your, your key findings were in that paper? Sure. So what we did is we, we had a group of creative writers and, and physicists every day at the end of the day indicate uh, if they had a creative idea that day. And if they did, we asked them some questions about the circumstances arising surrounding that idea and uh, other aspects about the idea. And what we found was that about 20% of the ideas happened in a way that is just sort of this very interesting category uh, that has been recorded over history, but uh, really not that well uh, documented, where ideas uh, seem to arise outside of the context of work, outside of the context of actively pursuing them at the time. Uh, there's the classic example of of Archimedes who is uh, taking a, a bath and suddenly has the solution to calculating the volume of the king's crown pop to mind where uh, the idea for Archimedes was if you put submerge the crown in water uh, that will cause water displacement and allow him to calculate the crown's volume. And so we were interested to see what percentage of the time this happened and we found about 20% of the time the ideas happened not when they were at work not when they were actively pursuing the problem. And that these ideas, these, these ideas that happened in sort of spontaneous mind-wandering episodes were as creative as the ideas that individuals had when they were actively uh, pursuing the problem at their desk. And it's, it's just sort of curious. There's not a lot of things that you can do as well while you're actively trying to do them as when you're you know just taking a shower. But in addition to this 
quality of um, having really pretty significant thoughts when they were not actively trying to do them. We also found some other interesting differences between the, uh, the thoughts that people were actively pursuing and, uh, you know, really directing their attention to versus these mind-wandering ones. And that is that the, the mind-wandering ones were more likely to entail an aha experience. So the, the sort of eureka effect, which is what Archimedes is alleged to have shouted. Apparently he ran through the streets naked. Uh, I don't think any of our participants did that. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, they did have these eureka experiences. And they also had, and I think this may have been the, the most interesting aspect of this study, the ideas that they had in these mind-wandering situations were more likely to over, involve overcoming impasses. They were more likely to involve a kind of problem that you might want to sleep on, where you 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 just don't know how, what the next turn is. If you're a writer, you know, how are you going to do in that character? If, if you're a physicist, uh, uh, what is the nature of this uh, particular particle? And when people had uh, uh, these aha mind-wandering experiences, they were more likely to be of this particular nature of something they've been stumped on that they're now uh, able to make progress. And were there any significant or notable differences between the physicists and the, the writers that you studied in terms either of process, in terms of frequency, in terms of outcome? By and large, our major results were very similar for the uh, writers and the physicists. The the physicists were more modest uh, than the writers uh, and in general rated their ideas as being uh, less creative than the writers did. It, it may also be that they were, uh, that, you know, there is more open-endedness in uh, creative writing for uh, creativity potentially. And, and then the uh, writers were also more likely to uh, have uh, bigger ahas than the physicists. But uh, the, the general pattern for the, the, the tendency to have a comparably creative ideas while mind wandering versus not, uh, the, the more likely to have ideas that involved an aha if they were mind wandering, those basic patterns were, were quite similar for the two groups. And building on that then, were there any significant differences in terms of other demographic factors, say age or gender or perhaps even nationality? Yeah, um, the I believe the there were more uh, women in the uh, creative writer uh, category than in the uh, physics category. Um, it's a, sort of a, a standard uh, characteristic. Uh, um, uh, the in terms of the other demographics, most all of them were from the uh, United States, and uh, the physicists were actually localized here in uh, Santa Barbara. That we have a very strong uh, physics program, and many of the physicists were uh, attending a a program here uh, at the time. But we didn't really uh, we didn't dive deep into the uh, demographic uh, differences uh, between the writers uh, and the physicists. The reason that we chose writers uh, and physicists actually has uh, it's sort of the way science works uh, had both a scientific component and a uh, sort of personal one. The scientific one is that uh, physicists uh, involve uh, much more what would be known as convergent uh, creativity, where you're looking for sort of a single uh, solution. And there's, there is there's sort of more of a right or a wrong answer in things. Whereas in uh, for writers, it's more divergent because there's really, you know, you could 
do in that character, you know, in, in, in almost an infinite number of different uh, ways. But the personal one is that uh, the first author on this uh, paper, Shelley Gable, her husband is a physicist. And so he was uh, well uh, connected uh, to uh, many creative physicists. Uh, and uh, one, one of her best friends uh, was a, a well-known uh, writer. Uh, so he was able to connect her to a uh, a lot of writers. So, you know, a lot of times uh, science is a little bit of a mix of uh, very rigorous principles and uh, uh, more, what would I say, uh, more just sort of uh, casual kinds of uh, connections. A convenient sample, perhaps. Convenience, exactly. You, you mentioned there uh, that a lot of these ideas were the things that people would, would often sleep on, to, to use a, a common term. And it made me think, you know, and maybe this may seem like a very silly way of putting it, but I'm going to put it this way anyway. Can you mind wander during sleep? Is that simply what dreaming is? Or actually, is there a, is there a difference there? And I'm thinking, apart from anything else, about those situations where people wake up in the middle of the night and go, I've got it, I've figured out the answer. Or they wake up in the morning and suddenly they've got that solution or whatever it might be. Yeah, that is a, um, that's a great question. There are some uh, interesting uh, parallels uh, between um, night dreaming and uh, daydreaming. Both of them are associated with creativity. There, there's definitely been some uh, really interesting uh, research uh, indicating that uh, REM sleep in particular provides a kind of a associative connection process which leads to solutions. So individuals are given problems and then they're given an opportunity for a nap and maybe they do, maybe they don't engage in REM and then you test them again. And if they were engaging in REM, they're more likely to, to solve it later on. Uh, and this may involve the fact that they both draw heavily on similar uh, brain networks and in particular the, the default mode uh, network, uh, which is a, sort of a, representation, internal narrative representational system. Uh, so there do seem to be some very uh, interesting parallels between uh, daydreaming and nightdreaming, and in particular, their relationship to creativity. But there's also some, uh, I think, important uh, differences. When you're dreaming, you do have an external world in that a dream uh, which you are uh, attending to. And so in principle, you, you either could, you might or might not be mind wandering in your dream, right? That is, you, you could be attending to the external world in your dream, or you could be more uh, focused, even though the external world is actually internal too, but, but from the mm. perspective of the dreamer, it's very much uh, an external world. So in, in that sense, dreaming actually recapitulates very much the uh, kind of experience that we have when we're awake and you can still have that alternation between internal and external thinking. It's, there hasn't been a lot of research on this, but it's, it's likely that metacognition is compromised uh, when you're dreaming. In fact, this is why it's, you know, a, a person can change from one person to another person and you don't, doesn't seem odd. You don't notice all sorts of things. Um, and there is some some important research indicating that metacognition has been compromised. So probably there's not that much mind wandering during dreaming in the sense of, you know, truly uh, focusing away from the external 
the seemingly external events that are uh, happening uh, before one. So uh, the, after that sort of long answer, the short answer is uh, they are related, uh, but different. Okay, no, I think that's uh, you, you. You teased out the the key elements there quite quite well. If if we return to some of your your, your research, in in a general sense, how important do you feel that mind wandering is to the creative process? And and I'm using the term creative process there very broadly to encompass both that convergent as well as that divergent element and 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 other approaches, I guess. I think a mind wandering is 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 quite important as a component to to creativity. There are multiple components to uh, creativity, and enabling ourselves to take advantage of those different components and the situations that uh, facilitate them uh, is important. So, you know, one component is the the generation phase to come up with that. Uh, with that uh, creative idea. And there, uh, mind wandering uh, may be, uh, you know, quite helpful because it's associated with, the, as I mentioned, this region, the default mode uh, network, which um, seems to be a, a sort of a source of a recombination and, and, and narrative uh, in uh, one's mind. But there's another component of creativity, which is the evaluation uh, component, where you really need to carefully inspect the idea and uh, and decide whether or not that idea really uh, holds uh, merit. And, you know, we all, we did find uh, that a significant proportion of the ideas that individuals had when we contacted them later, these big aha ideas, how creative were they later? Oftentimes they went down. So, so some ideas don't necessarily hold up that well upon careful inspection. And there you really uh, need to uh, be focused and, and systematically uh, review uh, all the elements of the idea and how it fits, how it doesn't, uh, and so on. And, and that's the key component too. So mind-wandering alone is a, will, may enable valuable uh, advances, may enable you to overcome impasses, but the end of the day, you're also going to need to sit down, hammer it out with very um, clear-headed, directed thinking. Should we, do you think, try to, to actively encourage mind-wandering? Or actually, is it better to leave it as a spontaneous, unmanaged process? Yeah, this is a great question. And it really sort of gets at the cutting edge of mind-wandering research right now, trying to understand how to optimize mind wandering in the creative process. And uh, so I, I need to say, sort of emphasize that uh, my answer here is gonna be speculative, but there are a couple of things that uh, we, can, we can consider here. Uh, the first is that uh, it's likely really going to depend on the uh, individual. There are, there are likely individuals who really could use some more mind wandering who are just trying to power through uh, some creative blockage where, uh, you know, taking a break and allowing the mind to just uh, naturally incubate and, and see what arise a walk, you know, a, um, a shower uh, might be, you know, very helpful. And doing that without the cell phone that's distracting them from having these, this, this uh, natural arising. There are other people who are likely, you know, taking uh, too many walks, uh, constantly incubating, and really just need to sit down 
and spend more time really focusing and evaluating all the ideas uh, that they've that they've had. And then in addition to how this likely varies as a, as a function of individuals, and I, and I will come back to some uh, data on this in, in a moment, uh, there's also uh, differences in the content uh, of uh, mind wandering. So if, if someone is just mind wandering about uh, some perseverative negative experience that they've had and just perseverating on that, uh, it's unlikely to do much to, to foster their uh, creative advance. Whereas if they're engaging in more uh, playful, uh, creative thinking, uh, then this may be more, uh, more helpful. We uh, have found that the content of mind wandering really makes a difference in a number of different contexts. So for example, there was a classic study by Killingsworth and Gilbert, which uh, published in Science, uh, one of the most uh, reputable journals in all of science, uh, in which they uh, found that individuals, uh, when they were mind wandering, were generally less happy than when they were on task, that, that mind wandering was essentially associated with unhappiness. And they did this by using experience sampling, where you ping people periodically throughout the day and ask them just now, are you mind wandering? And then how happy are you? And so on. Uh, and we replicated their basic finding, but we also uh, asked them uh, to indicate how interesting was what you were mind wandering about. And what we found is that on average, yes, when people were mind wandering, they were less happy than when they were on task. But if they were mind wandering about something that they found particularly interesting, they're actually happier than when they were on task. So the, the content matters. And, and what we have some evidence for is that curious mind wandering, where you're sort of playfully thinking about, uh, about ideas and about issues that um, captivate your uh, attention, that that can be associated with, uh, particularly with creativity. We call this kind of mind wandering, mind wandering. Uh, and uh, there's evidence that when you're engaging in this, it, it makes you more curious. And when you engage in activities that promote curiosity, such as generating questions, following reading text, you're more likely to experience these interesting, curious-driven, mind-wandering episodes. So what it seems then is that some people, at least, uh, would likely benefit from uh, cultivating at least certain kinds of mind-wandering, mind-wandering where they're playfully thinking about topics that uh, they find of, of interest. And if we take some of those those points you, you made there, you mentioned, for example, walking, are there particular techniques, particular approaches that, that people can use to actually try and push themselves into a mind-wandering or even just a mind-wandering state to, 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 I guess, tease out some of those benefits for themselves? Sure. Again, this is where, this is, this is the research that we're actively engaging in right now, trying to help people to cultivate the, the good kind of mind wandering. But the preliminary evidence that we have is that engaging in a non-demanding task, one which doesn't require you to you know, think too hard, because if, if the task that you're doing, if you're, is, is, is really strenuous, you're not really gonna be able to engage in a thoughtful, mind wandering. So a non-demanding task seems to be helpful. And then there's a, a fair bit of research indicating that nature has 
remarkable sort of restorative uh, and inspiring uh, characteristics. Uh, so uh, walking in nature may be particularly helpful. And there's also uh, evidence that walking is of, of value. The ancient uh, Greeks, uh, Aristotle and Plato were all part of what they referred to as the peripatetic school where they did all their philosophizing while walking. And uh, there's actually been some uh, very nice research indicating that uh, when people are working on uh, creative problems, if they're walking, they're more creative than if they're sitting. And this, this one study involved actually having people sitting in a wheelchair being pushed around. So they're getting the same visual flow, but um, uh, not moving their legs. And they were, they were notably less creative. So uh, non-demanding tasks, walking and encouraging curiosity, playfully thinking about thoughts from different perspectives and, and, and trying just to, uh, to try to enjoy it, to try to dive deep into the, the topics that engage one. And, and I guess as you're doing all of that, trying to minimize the, the distractions from the omnipresent social media, smartphones, et cetera, et cetera, to allow yourself just to, to wander. Yeah, exactly. It, it it does seem, and it's unfortunate that we don't have, people oftentimes ask me about this. It would have been great if we had a really quality database looking at the uh, frequency of uh, people's engaging in just undistracted internal trains of, of thought. And it, it does seem likely that the omnipresent existence of uh, our smartphones uh, on us which means that at any moment that we might previously have engaged in mind wandering, we can just pull out our smartphone and uh, you know look at social media. It does seem like that may have uh, reduced the the opportunity for the particularly for the kind of mind wandering that may be helpful. I mean, it probably doesn't. The, in fact, it may even this is another thing that we don't know, which seems quite plausible. The the mind wandering that happens while you're engaged in some sort of meaningful activity, say listening to a lecture or uh, reading a book, that may actually have been increased by social media uh, and by the cell phones because we're, we're so used to getting these, these interruptions and these uh, you know, brief sound bites. But the kind of mind warning where you're uh, just waiting at a bus stop uh, for uh, the bus and thinking about things, that may actually be decreased because now rather than uh, having the mind just sort of wander uh, where it will, it's being directed uh, to the external source of one's social media and their phone. Yeah, it makes a, a lot of sense. If people wanted to find out more about your research, uh, are there any particular websites they can go to? Yeah, um, the, if, you, if you Google uh, Meta, M-E-T-A space lab, uh, UCSB, uh, it'll go right to my website and there's um, lots of, of mind wandering uh, papers uh, there. Also, if you go to Wikipedia, there's a excellent review of mind wandering there. Uh, so there's a, a number of different uh, resources that uh, I direct people to. And then the um, Gable paper is on our website, along with uh, links to other relevant podcasts and media material. That's great. And I'll ensure to put uh, links in the show notes. Professor Jonathan Schooler of University of California, Santa Barbara, thank you very much for your time. Mm -hmm.
It's been my pleasure.